Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Martha. Hi, everyone. My name is Martha. I'm a compulsive overeater and bulimic. Hi, Martha. Thank you very much for um, this honor, and I'd like to say thank you to this meeting. This, I believe it's the first OA meeting that I came to and the first one that I came back to after I went and ran my own program to some disastrous results for about six months. And thank you very much to Leslie, who's my sponsor in this program and has really helped me get the abstinence that I have, and to my um, OA sisters, Brooke and Atusa and Veronica and here. <laughs> My abstinence date is January 5th of 2009, so I have just over um, just over a year. Abs- My abstinence is just defined as no purging, no vomiting. And I do work on, you know, I've gotten a lot of relief from my over my compulsive overeating and binging as well, but I just follow my sponsor's direction, which is to just stick with a very simple, definable abstinence, which is just no purging. And our book, Alcoholics Anonymous, which is the blueprint of our program, talks about just sharing in a general way what I was like, what happened, and what I'm like now. So I can tell you, I may have just been born an overeater. I think I was just, from the as far back as I can remember, I always had a sense that something was missing, that there was never enough of the things that I loved, that I was never going to be satisfied, that just that there was this level of comfort I got from foods that I loved that there really was just no limit to, to what I could eat. Just very briefly about my family, my my dad is Israeli, Yemenite Israeli, and um, he was, like, he's kind of in a permanent state of PTSD from the Arab-Israeli, from the War for Independence for Israel. He, like, saw his best, he lied about his age to fight in the war and saw his best friend exploded before his eyes and just became, like, He's, he's very checked out of life, and um, he never was able to hold a job, or he never wanted to have a wife and kids, which he often told us. And he somehow accidentally got married to my mother, who's a very, very tightly wound British woman. And it's a very odd match. And somehow they had these four kids in four years. And just, um, like, we moved all the time. Like, I went to... My dad never held a job. He kind of, we lived on welfare and he would like go, he was kind of a self-proclaimed mystic and he would travel around to psychic fairs reading palms and stuff like that. And my mother couldn't really work either because she just has a lot of nervous conditions. And then we just moved all the time and we changed, my dad changed our last name to um, flee from creditors. And we, um, like I went to about, changed elementary schools like five or six times and high schools about three times. So I was, I mean, I was just born, like, anxious and unstable anyway, so this just kind of reinforced everything. And then my parents were also very, like, alternative, like, health food, everything, which is probably why I was not overweight as a kid, because it was just, like, lentils and tofu and very little of it. (laughs) So what I would do is, um, I just remember, like, I was so enchanted by everybody else's lunch at school, like, and the fairy cone at my school, one one of my schools would 
offer me Oreos, and then he would open them and lick the insides and put them back together. And I knew if nobody was around, I would eat them. And I would just, I loved going to other kids' houses or getting to go to McDonald's at kids' parties or whatever and getting to eat, like, whatever food I could get that was tasty, I would eat as much of it as I possibly could. And I just remember when my first memory of, like, being able to eat all I wanted to eat was, um, we, well, we couldn't afford to go to Jewish camp, but the Christians would always, like, pay for us to go to camp. <laughs> so we went to this, you know, we'd come back singing, like, King Jesus is all and all this stuff. But I went to, like, this, um, this sleepaway camp for the first time. I was six, and I just was so enchanted by how much we were allowed to eat. Like, it was all, like, starchy food, like pancakes and spaghetti, and I just remember once, it was, like, maybe the second night, I just stuffed myself so full of spaghetti that I literally couldn't move, and I felt ill, but I was so... It was just the first time I'd been allowed to just eat as much as I wanted to. And um, my mother, who was very proper in British, she always said things like, um, oh, Martha's eyes are much bigger than her tummy. Which was true, but that wasn't really what it was about, you know. And basically, until I started getting my... Well, actually, I used to... I just remember this when I did my inventory. was I used to steal um, quarters out of my... We never got allowance or whatever. And until I had my own paper route when I was 11, I used to just steal money out of my dad's pockets, like quarters and stuff, and just, like, fantasize over how much candy I could buy and how I would pace it out. And then when I finally started getting my own money, I would just do these, like, little mini binges and... Then when I was, like, 14, I lied about my age to get a job at McDonald's and just start, just went hog wild on, on the McDonald's food. And then I would come home and eat, the, like, whatever tofu, lentils, and rice that's, like, sitting around. <laughs> and I guess I just, I had, like, pretty good metabolism, so I didn't, like, really gain a lot of weight. I mean, I would, probably when I was, like, 14, I started um, yo-yo dieting and whatever. But I just, I just always had that compulsion, when I, especially when I was, like, sad or, lonely or anxious or whatever, that, that I would just fixate on a certain food and then get as much of it as I possibly could. And then I guess I went away. I got a um, my sort of solution to all my, like, emptiness and anxiety and fear. Part of what I thought would solve that was just to, to like, be a success and be the opposite of my parents. My sister told me when I, my younger sister told me when I was, like, 12 that I said my only goal in life was to prove that everything mommy and daddy ever said was wrong. Mm-hmm. And, like... <laughs> I remember my dad told me once that the reason I got straight A's in school was because I was afraid of authority and um, that I was, if I was an independent thinker, I wouldn't be so well in school. So then I just, like, doubled my efforts. <laughs> so I ended up getting a scholarship to this boarding school, and that was where I really, that's where my bulimia started. Um, I just, it was, you know, unlimited dorm food, um, and... I was just always eating, and, like, I used to steal money from the student store and, or steal chocolate bars and just, you know, until I got to this program, I didn't realize how much my thievery and my <laughs> overeating went together. I remember um, I gained about probably 25 pounds in uh, a few months, and I was just, like, horrified. And I had always, um, and I was, like, getting stretch marks and just felt really uncomfortable, and I, I didn't know why I couldn't stop eating, but I just knew that I couldn't stop and that I couldn't get any bigger. So I, um, I'd always read stuff about eating disorders, and I think I had tried to, like, throw up before, tried to, like, you know, um, once I, I remember I got this from, I mixed rubbing alcohol and a hydrogen peroxide or something and drank it, because I thought it would make me <laughs> It didn't work, <laughs> so don't try it. Um, then I, I don't know how I just started throwing up, and, um, I, when I first started, I was just kind of doing it as like a weight control thing, and um, 
it, it, somehow, like, I just took natural, I guess because I'd, I'd grown up and just had always had these tendencies to be, like, really, you know, secretive and hiding my behaviors and, like, you know, controlling and just, you know, solving things myself in my own weird ways. So I just kind of took naturally to, like, skulking around the campus, finding the right bathrooms and, you know, like, figuring out how to do this and how to not smell. And it just, I was like a, a natural vomiter, I guess. And I, I did that for probably a, on and off for about a year. And um, then for a number of years, like mostly through college and graduate school, I had, um, I, I would just do it strategically to lose weight. And I, I got into some like fairly normal eating patterns for a while, I guess because I was in, in school. I was doing things that were challenging and rewarding. I fell in love in college. I had a very serious boyfriend. Um, you know, basically my life kind of made sense for a while. And in my mind, that meant that this problem was solved. Like everything was fine. Like I was, you know, not abusing anything. You know, I was exercising. and But whenever I did start to kind of gain weight again or if I did eat a really big meal, I often just, like, I just, I thought that was okay. I don't know. I just never... Not until I got to these rooms did I, did I like, really take a good look at, like, how normal people ju- don't just, like, strategically vomit or, you know, like, luckily I was like, hey, there's no such thing as social vomiting. <laughs> but I, I, there's, I think maybe all of us have this, like, disconnect where we can have these crazy behaviors and just think that that's completely segregated from, like, the rest of our life and it's all okay or we can just not think about it. And then what happened for me is, you know, I guess in my late 20s, you know, my, my life, I started to really start to abuse alcohol, and I started to really abuse food again. I had, um, I'd had, like, a lot of academic success. I got, you know, um, all these, like, fellowships to PhD programs. I started a PhD in history at Stanford, but I've always had this thing of, like, um, you know, the disease of perception that we all have, like nothing is really the way it's supposed to be. I'd had this vision for my life that my college boyfriend and I would get married and we'd have this restored Victorian home full of like Persian rugs and intelligent children and golden retrievers and like, you know, that um, like I would be published and, you know, semi-famous and um, I just, but I hate, I just, I hate discomfort, I hate pain, I hate hard work, I hate uncertainty. I'm unwilling to make the kind of everyday trudging sacrifices that everybody else makes. Or in my mind, they don't do that. They just get stuff. And I ended up dropping out of that PhD program. For I mean, I was doing really great, but it just all seemed too hard. And there was too much uncertainty as to if I would get tenure somewhere. And I was always living in the future, and I just wanted, like, ease and comfort and lack of – I wanted lack of fear. I just tried to pursue a life that, that wouldn't be so terrifying. And so I started in the corporate world. I did really get well there for a while until that got too hard. And then I just I started freelancing as a copywriter, writing advertising, because it was I was really good at it. I made really good money, and it was easy. And I didn't have to get outside my comfort zone. And I could work from home and um, you know eat when I wanted. I started drinking like drinking wine during the day a lot. And without getting into my AA story, like I really spiraled into um, not fast but slowly into alcoholism and um, isolation. And with that went. I started to binge again, um, and it got worse. I mean, this is really a progressive disease. I started um, deliberate, like, sometimes against my will. I would find myself in the supermarket parking lot, like, going to the liquor store, getting my wine, getting all kinds of fatty frozen foods and ice creams and stuff, and everything was programmed in my head of how to, like, how to layer stuff to throw up and, um, you know, then how drunk I could get with an empty stomach, and then when I would eat again, and, um, you know, that just... 
went on and on and on for years. I don't even really know um, how it got that bad. And then I would get reprieves because I was also always looking to like fall in love. And you know, I just thought if if I found the right guy and got married and everything, you know, like life would be happy again. And I don't want to without going into too much detail. I did find fell in love with the man that I married. And um, he didn't know any of the stuff about my drinking, my bulimia. And, but at this point, I'd also stopped paying taxes, spent all my money. I had huge lines of credit because I had done really well for a while. So I'd run up like 120000 in debt. Um, and I was keeping all these secrets from him. And he lived here in L.A. I was in Vancouver. I ended up moving down to live with him. And um, I, I had gotten sober um, in AA. And in, with that first sobriety, my, I'd gotten a lot of relief as well from my bulimia. And then I, six weeks after I moved here, and it looked like my life was going to be perfect. I wasn't drinking anymore. I was doing AA light, like just going to meetings, kind of, you know, doing my own little systems for everything, <laughs> for all my problems, for money, food, alcohol. I just cherry-picked what I thought I needed and ignored all the rest. And everything seemed to be going okay, so it was all fine. And I started, um, six weeks after I moved here, I, um, it was um, my partner, um, the man that I married, had um, these two little girls. His wife had been killed by a drunk driver, and I was going to adopt these little girls. I'd been helping raise them for three years. And, you know, they were starting to call me mom, and it, we were very, very close. And it was Mo- Molly's eighth birthday, and I found a lump in my breast that day. And um, two weeks after that, I was diagnosed with a very aggressive invasive breast cancer. And um, I, it, like, it was like I had a needle biopsy on a Tuesday. I was in surgery on a Friday. I was starting chemo, like, a couple as soon as humanly possible because it had gotten into one of my lymph nodes. So it was trying to get into my whole body. And, um, you know, I was very lucky in a lot of ways because it, this, it, there's a new drug for this type of breast cancer because a few years ago I probably would be dead. Um, it had, like, a 70% death rate or something. So I... Um, and it was really weird because I, I imagined that I was going to get really skinny in chemo and have a really beautiful wig and, like, it would all work out really well. <laughs> I did get a really beautiful wig that actually Leslie styled for me, but I gained all this weight. Um, and I, I was actually, you know, I was actually dying except for the chemo drugs, and I was, like, binging and purging. And it was weird when they were giving me all these anti-nausea drugs and talking about managing vomiting and stuff in my head. I'm like, what's wrong with vomiting? Like, it's so... I never got, you know... This, this like, um, and then what, what ended up happening? I I abused some of my pain medication. I ended up like relapsing um, before I even finished cancer treatment. I had relapsed twice, um, and my husband felt that he could no longer trust me with those children. He didn't trust me to stay sober, um, and he found out about my bulimia, and he knew that I was even vomiting while I had cancer. And um, you know, none of this adds up to a normal person. And he um, ended that marriage. And what I was left with, this was in June of '07. I was completely broke. I declared bankruptcy in Canada before I moved here. I had lost the love of my life. I'd lost those children that I loved more than, probably even more than I loved him. I mean, I loved those little girls so much. Um, I had no job. I was still finishing cancer treatment. I had, um, he yanked my green card application, so I was technically an illegal alien as well. And um, I had, like, no hope. Um, I, I tried to kill myself. I was, like, locked in a hotel room, like, for two days, like, drinking and trying to jump off this balcony. I ended up in a mental institution for, like, 11 days. 
and it was very hard to get released from there, like with good reason. <laughs> um, and I ended up going into a treatment center, and at that point, I really, really surrendered to to that one disease, um, to alcoholism. And I um, was in a treatment center, and um, they were. I, I started really following sponsor direction in that other program, and I was really, really broken and surrendered. And I like. You know, it, it's a testament to the power of the 12 steps that when you are truly, truly desperate and surrendered, like all of those problems just fix themselves without me tinkering and messing around. You know what I mean? Like like the money, the immigration status, the really, I repaired that relationship with, with my partner. And I, and I didn't, the marriage was gone, but I have a really, I get to be a part of those little girls' lives. All those things got repaired through, through these steps and through just following direction and just giving up this idea that I can really, that I know what makes what's good for me, that I know what makes me happy, and that I know what how to run my own life. Um, but I didn't surrender to that the disease of compulsive overeating and bulimia. I thought that one twelve step program was just plenty, and that it would all be fixed. And um, you know, they told me otherwise in my treatment program, and tried to um, um, get. I was in an outpatient treatment program for my eating disorder because I get some recovery, relapse, get some recovery, relapse, especially because I I knew that I wasn't going to be able to drink again. I just started like abusing food even worse. And I ended up in this, like, sober living that was just, like, a festival of candy and cake all the time. And I was just constantly, um, my, bulim- my bulimia got progressively worse, which made me fight it harder on my own or just trying to throw the AA program at that disease. I was, it was so much worse than ever before. Um, I was, I, I ended up getting, like, a good, decent, nice job with nice people. And I was, like, sneaking off to that bathroom um, disappearing from work to go buy candy. I was in between my work and my meeting, my AA meeting, where I would be like a sh- trying to be like a shining example of like peace and serenity and recovery. I would be like against my will. I would be in the Ralph's parking lot underground, like stuffing my face and vomiting into a bag and then trying to hide the bag of vomit. And then being horrified when the next day I went back and my bag of vomit was like still in the corner where I left it. And that like things like that were making me see that. Like, but I just couldn't, I couldn't give it up. I just couldn't handle the idea. It seemed like a punishment from God to have to go to two programs, and that just didn't, like, it just didn't make sense to me, and I couldn't give it up. And I did, like, I mean, we, we have these, all these special events in our, in our home group. It's, like, very social and very structured, and one of the, one set of events we do is at this, this diner that has really dirty bathrooms, and I can't even tell you how many times I vomited in those, like, it didn't matter to me how filthy the bathrooms were. Or, um, I mean, I, I still have this thing about bulimic bathrooms when they have doors that go to the ground so nobody can see that you're leaning over the toilet. Even now with recovery, I see, um, oh, bulimic bathroom. <laughs> and just like the idea, like I got so good that I could so quickly vomit and hide it that it just, the more I did that, the more it just seemed like it, it didn't really, it wasn't really going on. You know what I mean? Like, and I hid this from my sponsor in my other program. And um, she finally told me to go talk to Leslie and um, to do whatever Leslie told me to do. And Leslie just told me that in her experience, um, she could not recover without OA. And so kicking and screaming, I came to these rooms. And then just kind of almost exactly the same way it happened to me when I first went to AA, I got some immediate relief. It's like I stopped throwing up. I started eating healthy. I started exercising. I lost weight. I felt good. And then exactly, even though I had done exactly the same thing with my other program, which is like, oh, it's all fixed, good, I'm done, thanks very much. Like, I did exactly the same thing with OA, like, exactly. I don't have a problem anymore, I feel great, but, you know, I'm, I'm doing this other program, everything's good. 
And, um, you know, what happened for me is I had, like, I guess about three months of recovery in a way, disappeared, started doing my own thing again. And, I mean, I have, like, I swear, you guys, I have every piece of evidence of how progressive this disease is. Because within a few months, it was like I was binging worse than ever and more secretly than ever, and it was re- it was disrupting my work. It was disrupting my my um, relationships with people. It was disrupting my AA program. Um, we have, a like, a women's stag that we go to on Friday nights and often has this buffet of tantalizing foods. And I would, I would be, like, locked in that one bathroom that, like, 60 or 70 women have to use, like, vomiting as fast as I could and then trying to sit down in absorb recovery. And um, it went on and on and on and got worse and worse. And my binge just got bigger. And I was, like, it was like waking up with a hangover, just, like, sweating and bloated and shaking and, like, sugar high. And, like, I was getting those crusty marks around my mouth. And I was so sick, you guys, but I just couldn't, like... I ha- always had one more try in me to make things get better. Like that, and for me too. I don't know if anybody else has this experience, but I hung on to every shred of evidence of how I used to be a normal eater. Like, what about college? What about you know? What about this? What about that time I used to run 10Ks? I used to cook all that vegetarian. You know, like I compiled every shred of evidence from my life that I had been a normal eater, and I can go back to being a normal eater. And this is an aberration. This is like not my. This is just a temporary problem. And um, finally, after I I'd started, when I started throwing up like five, six, seven times a day, and um, just, I was getting crippled by this disease. And um, what happened for me was I was um, I was in Whole Foods going to go buy a healthy meal. And I, this always seemed to happen like, like I wasn't in control of my body. Like somehow I was getting all this like lasagna and a six pack of devil's food cup. Like there's, it's pretty amazing how much junk Whole Foods sells. <laughs> I was like getting ready to go binge. I was binged in my car in this like little enclosed space. And I was getting ready to go binge in my car. And I got in the elevator and um, Michael, who's in this group, was in that elevator. And I remembered him from this meeting. And he was like, not only had he lost like another like 50 pounds or whatever, like he shined, like his whole face was shining and and his eyes were shining and he didn't remember me I'm pretty sure he just he just like smiled and made some like little chit chat and he just like he was like it sounds so corny but he was like a beacon of freedom like I just couldn't imagine being that free and that happy um, and I could see what food was in his bag too and it wasn't like the food I had in my bag so I like I went I still bit finished my binge I went to my car and binged and then I was just like okay God I'm done and then I came back to OA, and um, the next day I came back to OA. And I think I did one more binge after that, and then I, um, and it took me a long time to ask Leslie to be my sponsor again because I thought that I'd failed her and that she would just, she would make me go to too many meetings. I still had this vision that I could do a little bit of a lighter program. <laughs> um, I just, like, it just took, it was a big surrender. And, um, I mean, the relief, the compulsion to, Vomit was removed almost right away, and um, I really, you know, it's been a little over a year and a bit, and I definitely have struggled with um, sliding back into binging and overeating or just making really weird food choices, but I can tell you that what has worked is just taking a, getting a sponsor that you're scared of, not somebody that's going to be your friend. I mean, Leslie's not really my friend, actually. <laughs> it's really nice, but I mean, you need I, I need somebody who's going to intimidate me a little bit, and... Um, 
somebody who, you know, I want to live with the kind of freedom around food that she has. That's what I want is to be free around food. And, um, you know, I had to get commitments. I was going to three OA meetings. I had a commitment in addition to my five AA meetings. So I had commitments at all my meetings. I started making a ton of phone calls, really listening for, I trying to identify with every speaker. And the good thing about that I was relieved from the vomiting, but I wasn't relieved from the binging, made me see I'm just a regular compulsive overeater like everybody else. The vomiting is another issue, but to my own devices, I'll always overeat. There's never enough food for me. Like, and I can eat, I can eat what, like, a 300-pound man would eat easily. Like, there's, I'm a volume eater, and I love it. And it's not, you know, I'm just like everybody else. Um, <laughs> so I, um, those are the things I did. And you know what the great thing about it is? You can have a terrible attitude and you can resent it. I had days where I just was like, I can't effing believe I have to do this on top of everything else that I do. You know what I mean? Like, with no sense of gratitude. Like, oh, the suffering, you know. I'm walking around like somebody who literally could not stop drinking, could not stop eating, like, you know, the the um, Chinese meal for five, you know, ordered to my house as if I had people over, you know. Um, just like like somebody who had like a science worked out of layering foods in order to comfortably vomit to be able to eat more food and to, that I was relieved of all that but I still would like resent having to get to a meeting 10 minutes early to do some little job but the great thing is you can have that hideous attitude and still get the you just like the, the program doesn't care about your attitude it cares about your actions and I did you know I, pre, I maybe like flaked on a couple of meetings sorry Leslie very extremely rarely I showed up I did my little commitments I made calls all the time. I, you know, when I had about six months, I started sponsoring women. None of them stayed with me, but that's okay. I love somebody was saying this the other day that reco- recovery math is, you know, um, overeater A helps overeater B, and overeater A stays abstinent. What happens to overeater B doesn't really matter. <laughs> like I, whatever I do to help others is really helping me. Um, I I hope for the best for them, but if they, you know, go do something else or you know, be like me and just disappear off into, like, self-proclaimed recovery. That's fine, too. I still get the relief. Um, and I um, I read the daily reflections. I try to have a bit of a spiritual practice. Um, you know, what, when I finally, in February, I, um, I stopped binging. I'd gone into a period of binging again. Leslie just kept telling me, like, because I kept trying to find fixes, like, okay, I'm going to make my abstinence no binging and no purging because then I won't want to change my day, so that'll fix it. Or, like... Well, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and eat this way, and and like, there's nothing that I can do. Like, only God can do it. Me trying to plan out a day that where where the choices and decisions that I make are going to stop me from binging, that doesn't happen ever. It only happens when I surrender it. And Leslie basically told me that when I surrender my um, binging, when I'm truly, truly done and surrender it, it will be removed. And that was the case for me as well. I mean, I still eat weird sometimes and overeat a bit, but it's not its not nearly as bad. Um, so it's really that, like, daily surrender and trying to have – I don't have a coherent, consistent spiritual practice, but I, I read the daily reflections. I pray when I need help. Um, I do reach out to others and make calls, and I show up at my meetings and do whatever is asked of me and try to be of service. And, you know, I know there's – from what I know and what I've experienced in both my 12-step programs – it's really what I put into it and how surrendered I am and how much I ask for help and how um, how much I try to walk with God rather than 
Um, you know, it's very, very hard for me to believe that God has a better plan for me than I have for myself because my plans are so good. Still want that Victorian mansion. <laughs> but when I do surrender and, and just really, like, feel the beauty of being of service and, and praying and living in a, with a sense of gratitude for, like, you know, I really should be dead. Really, like, I've tried to kill myself. I've been locked up. I... Um, could easily have destroyed my body with my um, the way I was eating and vomiting. And when I have that level of gratitude, I'm really, really happy, like really free and happy. Um, you know, these I've experienced these promises, and then I've lost them again because I go back into fighting. There's this movie that came out last year, um, A Serious Man, and um, it opens with this message from this medieval rabbi, Rashi, and it says, the message, it says, accept with simplicity all that happens in your life. And I, I, when I saw that, I was like, oh, my God. Like, unless I'm trying really hard, my, my default attitude is fight with complexity everything that happens in my life <laughs> and everything that hasn't happened but might happen in my life. I mean, that's my setting. It's like anticipate, fight, strategize, outthink. You know, like I, I have to really try to change my default settings on a daily basis. And, um, you know, I just... I look, this has been very, a very small amount of time of abstinence, but I, I have no explanation for how a behavior that was so ingrained and so compulsive and so destructive and horrible and something that, that I could really do with, well, completely pretending it wasn't happening. Like, live this, like, I was trying to be a mother, and in some ways I was a really good mother and a really good wife, and, but I had this whole other, like, persona that was, like, sneaking off and doing these insane things. And I could live that. And people live that way into old age. And I don't have to do that anymore. And for that, I'm extremely, extremely grateful. And thank you for all being here. And thank you. Anybody have any questions? Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. How did you, um, as someone who's obviously very smart, everything like that. How did you come to accept the concept of a higher power um, and how did you find that higher power? So the question was, how did I come, as somebody who's um, supposedly smart, how, how did I come to um, accept the idea of a higher power? I definitely struggled with that. I, when I first came to 12-step programs, I just thought it was so asinine and infantile and lame and just like, oh, I was so horrified. But everything seemed like it could be stitched on a little pillow, you know, all the little sayings and, and just like, it didn't even seem like sophisticated theology, you know, like, and, but I guess it, it came to me, it was just evidence, like, that when I was totally, when I was desperate enough to put down my, like, baggage of outsmarting the world, and I was really, really desperate for help. It always works. I mean, I love, one of the things, I, my favorite things in the book is God will always do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. I don't know how it, exactly how it's said, but, and maybe this is just the way my sponsor repeats it, is she says, it's not sometimes, it's always, like always. Just any time I've been so desperate for help, I've received that help when I truly ask, you know. And I have, I have so much evidence of that now that I just can't say that there is no God. And I hope that helps. Um, You've talked a lot about surrender. Yeah. And um, I just wondered if you would share any other pearls of wisdom you have about surrender or maybe a moment of surrender or something your sponsor says. Because it came up a lot in your talk. Yeah. I think, I feel like, for what I know for me, is if I'm wondering whether I'm surrendered, I'm not. (laughs) Like, 
that I know when I'm truly surrendered, like when it's just, it's like, it's, I just throw it all out there. It's like, I can't do this. And it's not like, it's not in a sense of resentment or fear or like, um, it's, it's just like I give it up and I, I just trust that I'm going to be taken care of. And is it, am I almost out of time? I'll tell you a very, very quick story. Okay, I have this ongoing issue, battle of wills with everything, obviously, but, like, with my car, when the lights go on to tell me to do certain things, gas, oil, whatever, it just pisses me off. Like, I'm going to do it when I want to do it, and don't inconvenience me. So the thing, and I've, like, run, I've run oh, really bad situations have happened out of that, but I, um, <laughs> I had, like, the thing said I needed air on the tires, and I ignored it and ignored it, and finally I, I came out of a meeting, and I was feeling spiritual. I was like, okay, I'm just going to do this, because the next indicated action so I'm going to get air and it was late at night and I went to one place and it was the thing wasn't working I went to another place I couldn't figure it out I lost one of the cats and I was just like what I'm trying to do this and I you know I was like swearing and then I had I knew that I really surrendered so I was like God I'm trying to do this can I just get some help please and then I decided to go to one more service station it was this one by my house and I drive up and there's this like freaking teenager rolling these tires up to the air thing I'm like okay so I, I was like, um, excuse me, are you using the air thing? And he looks up and he's like, oh, do you need air? And he like comes over and um, he's like, let me let me help you. And he like um, he had this like brass tire gauge and told me where to buy it. And he actually showed me how to measure the air in all. And he was like showed me where to read it. And he was like the sweetest like just in the, it was like eleven o'clock at night. And he was helping me and he did it all and showed me how to measure it and kept reminding me to go to Pet Boys and get one of these things. And it, and I was just like, can I like buy you? Is that can I give you? I was like, boy, what are you doing? And he's like, he goes, you know what? I just I was tinkering at home. And he lives a block away. He was like, I was tinkering at home, and I just thought, I just thought to myself, I really want to help somebody tonight. <laughs> so I mean, I have, I have, but that's like one out of so many instances things like that have happened, where I'm just like, it's just like I, I can't not believe. You know what I mean? And I, and I have to remember to surrender. So, thanks.